Hello, and welcome to another episode of the SIRS Group Podcast. I am Barbara. And I'm JC. And today we are going to talk about another aspect of our SIRS X recap. Uh, we have done a part one and part two general recap videos, so you can go check those out. We've done one on remediation. So that's fixing a building that sucks. Now we're going to talk about building or finding a good environment or home. Um, and that's a little bit of a different process. And there are a few, a couple talks on the building a good home uh, that we will cover, as well as one great talk on, from a realtor about finding a good home. And I thought they were all really helpful. 100%. And before we jump into the talks, just a quick disclaimer that Barbara and I are not medical professionals. We are SERS patients. We run a SERS support community. We've read the textbook. We went to SERS-X, which is the big SERS conference. So we are knowledgeable about these topics, but none of this should be taken as medical advice. Yep. Always consult your SERS certified practitioner. The first talk was Why Buildings Fail to Protect Our Health. And this was by Paula Baker Laporte. She is an architect and she is super knowledgeable. I think of all the talks, I took the most notes for this talk. Yeah, I've got pages for sure. She was great. Um, she she opened her, her talk um, talking a lot about like why homes are so, so bad. Um, <laughs> like just in general, the by code, like government enforced code requires buildings to be built a certain way and those ways happen to be really friendly to mold unfortunately between like the drywall that we use which is basically mold food mold food the fact that in the united states especially we don't build buildings to last things you know we all move around a lot move from home to home like just generally speaking like our culture is different than let's say in europe where you have buildings that are like hundreds, if not thousands of years old in some cases. So we just use, we have a very different viewpoint on the building a home process here in the United States. And it's not great for what we want as there's patients. hundred percent. And she mentioned there's three major causes of home toxicity, one being chemical, two being mold, and then three being electromagnetic ra radiation. And she brought up a really interesting point of like, if you are sensitive to electromagnetic radiation, it's really hard to get away from that in a home environment. And I've talked about this with other people who have SIRS. I think when you have SIRS and you realize like your home is making you sick, it puts homeless people in a totally different light mm. because it's like, I'm sure people like get become homeless for many different reasons. But now having the context of SIRS, I think to myself, like, what if these people have just realized that their home is making them sick and they feel better outside of their home. Like, I wonder how many, how many homeless people out there have that experience. I would imagine at least 25%, if not more. If 25% is the uh, percentage of people that have the haplotypes to have SIRS. <laughs> just putting that yeah. joke into context. Yes, thank you. Thank you, JC. It was necessary. So she did say that there's six reasons homes are mold prone. One being light frame construction. Um, it always fails when it's wet. Two is we don't invest in longevity, like Barbara was saying. Three is that codes cause wet walls. There's something called a vapor barrier that's necessary in homes and causes uh, mold. 
Four was we build with mold food. Five was that standard finishes trap moisture. And then six was that HVAC can become contaminated and um, distribute. Yes, HVAC becomes a contamination and distribution network. And I don't know why this made me think of like 2319 Monsters, Inc. But it's like when they have the people like come down from the, the ceiling in the hazmat suits, it's like your HVAC is spreading those children's socks throughout your house. Yeah. <laughs> yep. That is a perfect, perfect analogy for that. I'll also shared the four major sources of mold. One being that buildings that get wet. Two is wet building processes during construction. I used to live in Florida and we would watch these homes be built over months and months during months soon season which is basically all seasons in Florida and it was just they weren't tarped they weren't covered it was just bare timber being exposed to wet constantly never drying out three is condensation and she brought up that vapor barrier again and then four is plumbing malfunctions and four is the one that I would think of as being like the major contributor to water damage is like having a a plumbing malfunction but if your home is being constructed constructed and it's getting wet and the mold is building at that time it's like well you're down before you even started yeah it's kind of crazy and and you would think that some places that are a little drier would be safe from this but i personally witnessed some horrific uh instances of lots of rain on a construction site uh in southern california again not a lot of rain that happens in southern california but just enough and just enough that people don't know what to do when it happens. Take driving, for example, if you, if you're, if you live in an area where everyone forgets how to drive as soon as some water falls from the the sky, chances are the construction crews in those areas also don't know what to do when some water falls from the sky. So, um, so those are sources of moisture and there are ways to build resistance to those sources, uh, which is to, protect the friggin' building during construction. Like they're, like you said, tarping it. There are companies and products out there that are meant to protect the framing of a building before a roof is built on it. Um, you know, you could build a roof sooner in the, as soon as you possibly can put the roof on, uh, of the, the, what you're building. Um, um, just manage the climate naturally. Pick pick a better time of year to build is another option. Um, make things watertight and don't use mold food. Don't freaking use drywall. Why are we still using drywall? There's got to be a better way. You also mentioned that the Southeast in the U.S. is a challenging building climate. And when there was the Q&A panel I asked her I was like you said the southeast is the worst what is the best and she said that there, there's there's really no great answer to that because even if you're building in the southwest like Barbara said if uh, it does rain they may not have the practices in place that they would in other areas of the country to deal with that um, she said it's more about being aware of where you're building and then kind of having a building specific approach to that building in that climate right that was something I think I think she mentioned during her talk, like, let's say the UK is relatively good at building in the rain, because guess what? It's always freaking raining there. So you have to get good at doing that. So um, I think that's, yeah, something to keep in mind as well. She also mentioned having, if you are building a home in the contract for the building, 
um, having codes of conduct, cleaning protocols, acceptable products, where to buy them, have test procedures throughout the building process, and then have the owner and the consultant interfacing before the walls are covered. I thought that was really interesting because I think when you're looking at building a home, it's like you're looking for a builder who can meet your specifications. But this is like another layer of like, yes, you're building my home, but you're building me a safe home. And we should have mentioned this earlier, but she does have a book that she co-wrote. And I don't remember the other author, but it's called Prescriptions for a Healthy House. And she also mentioned that her book sales have been growing recently, specifically, which is showing that there's this growing interest in people wanting to build these homes that are safer environments to live in. Yeah. And I don't know how many people in our audience have ever built their own home, but oftentimes there is an owner representative. It is a hired professional individual who is knowledgeable about the building process, but is hired by the owner to go head to head with the general contractor and make sure the general contractor does what they're supposed to do. There is usually an owner representative on every construction site, commercial, residential, and everything else. So you do, that is a perfect position for that person at least to know what the heck SERS is and to know what building practices are the best and to ensure a proper building of a house. Um, And so that would be the role that you would want to fill most carefully. You want a really good advocate for you and your health in that position of owner representative. She also mentioned for different climate conditions, there's some things that you can do to try and mitigate mold growth during construction. One is build indoors and then assemble on site, kind of like a prefab home. Mm-hmm. Um, and then two, to use protection. So some sort of tarping. Three is to use inorganic material. So again, avoid mold food. And then four is to test and then remediate if needed before doing the framing and sheathing conceals. So before putting the actual walls on, make sure that the timber that you had in place in the beginning wasn't moldy. Yeah. And, and there should be some kind of arrival location that is safe for all the materials being used and stored while they're not being used yet in the building of your home. Um, so you just want want that area to be mold free and keep continue to verify that. Um, keep everything elevated off of the ground if it needs to be. Um, just keep it out of the weather, all of that fun stuff. Similar to how you might clean your own contents of your house, where you take it to some place outside where you can clean things and keep things in plastic bins, you would want to do something similar with the actual building supplies, not not keeping it in bins necessarily, but keeping it in she her suggestion was like a big um, like almost like a pod or like a um, like one of those big what what word am I trying to come up with here? I don't storage even know. container. Thank you. You're like the obvious one, Barbara. No, I just, your brain. I was like, it's, it can't possibly be that. No, I mean, she. I think that was the picture that she showed in her talk was like a giant, it's a storage container, what you would see on the back of a, tr- a semi truck on the freeway, mm. just a big, a big holding container that is airtight or not airtight, but weatherproof um, and, and that you can put everything in there and seal it up. But yeah. And we talk about this a lot is like hard versus easy mode on when you have stars. It's like you can make choices that make your life easier. And so choosing not to have a crawl space, choosing not to have a basement, choosing those inorganic 
building materials are all choices you can make to live life on easier mode. Um, and then she started talking about the plumbing uh, failure damage prevention. And I thought that these were helpful because these are things you could do now, regardless of whether or not you're building. Um, but like having a floor drain near water appliances or water loss detectors, you can actually buy uh, there are little devices you can put near any sort of plumbing and it'll alert you if you start having some sort of a leak and you can put them like under your sink and next to your water heater and stuff like that. If you're building, you can also install shutoff devices. So if a leak is detected, it'll just automatically shut everything off. But I was looking on Amazon recently and you can buy the water loss detectors that are like Bluetooth and will alert your phone. So even if you're not home, you could be like, oh no, go home and, uh, fix that putting pans under appliances uh was another one and that's Sorry. everything like the water heater too but then also the fridge and and like anything else you could do a uh like a, a liner under the sink i know you're going to get to that on the list but uh but even a liner under the sink will at least collect some amount of water before you have this whole like overflow situation. So that's all really, um, all of those are really important and helpful. Yes. And another thing like uh, waterproofing your shower and replacing the caulking, I, I don't think people realize that that, that caulk is not supposed to be there forever. <laughs> it is not immortal. Yeah. You have to remove it and replace it occasionally. And then buying the best appliances you can. So appliances more and more, they have their own water shutoff features, especially with dishwashers and washers. Yeah. Really important to look for things like that. Um, there's another thing that she talked about aside from, so those are appliances. Those are things that you can do right now, whether you're building or not. Um, if you are choosing to build, there are certain, um, features that you probably want on your house or in your house in your build like a sloped roof large overhang off of you know of the roof over to make sure that water is not able to come back and hit the actual house itself um uh the sloped sills sorry uh the gutter obviously um flashing making sure that everything is covered lots of like waterproofing and metal and just everything that you can everything that you can employ in normal building uh that is specifically there for the protection of the home from water you want to employ all of those if you can and then the last part of her talk was about building biology and i found this very interesting so it was a little bit more woo it's less practical for like people who are trying to avoid mold but just making your your home a part of your environment and part of the nature around it so like having that permeability through the walls so that your your house can um evaporate moisture but also draw in clean air and even like things like making sure the acoustic is good and having daylight and experiencing nature and like color and pattern um the way she ended her talk it made me believe that she loves homes like she loves homes and she loves the experience of people being in a safe clean healthy environment for themselves and so you can tell she's really passionate about this specifically yeah yeah i love that aspect of her talk actually even though i'm not always a woo person uh it's it does it 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 resonates with me. You want a clean space. And by clean, I mean, clutter free and, and, uh, you know, with 
with some amount of nature, if you can safely have it inside, like plants, I know plants can be an issue sometimes with people with SIRS, but, but um, having, or at least being able to go out into nature, being surrounded in nature. I know a lot of us live in the city, so that can be difficult. Um, but just those, those little elements, whatever you can bring into your life. I mean, even in the form of like wallpaper, you know, like anything that mimics nature and, um, and being, you know, getting back to that. Cause it's really at the end of the day, a lot of these problems are from modern building practices. They are not from how we used to live hundreds of years ago in or more than hundreds, I guess, thousands of years ago in, uh, you know, in tribal settings. Like, I don't think we were dealing with mold in the same way back then because it wasn't actively growing on a, a place that we never left because we were always moving. So I think, I think things like that are important to keep in mind for sure. One of the last points of our talk was using natural building materials like clay, which kind of leads us perfectly into the next talk, was, which is building my very own sire wall by Ming Dooley. Mm -hmm. But um, Paula's point on that was clay has a 15,000 year success rate. Like we've been building with clay for 15,000 years and you can even like still see these structures that were built with clay that long ago. Yeah which is kind of crazy and they're mold free. So it's like, well, we did it right once. We can do it right again. Exactly. Yeah, that was awesome. So the Sire Wall by yes. Ming Dooley. Ming Dooley is adorable. She got up on stage and she could not clear the podium. And I was just like, I love you. You are perfect. Um, but she's just this like tiny woman who is tenacious and built her own Sire Wall. So a Sire Wall is compacted, um, clay and dirt particulate at which they they press with a hydraulic press and then over time the actual like strength of that wall becomes stronger and so Ming Dooley is building a home made out of this sire wall material and it was her going through the entirety of the process from working with sire wall to find the composite of the dirt that they needed to have the strength capacity they needed for the environment that she had. You know, uh, she told us about like how she was designing the home to have like passive temperature control. It was involved and uh, it made it feel really doable to me. And I know you have a different perspective on this, so I'll just share this really quickly. It was like, okay, if Ming Dooley can do this, I can do this. Cause she's like, she's a DIYer. I I think I lean more towards the DIY route. I have looked into like building my own tiny home. So building a tiny home out of Sirewall felt achievable to me. Like it felt accessible to me. But I know you have a different opinion about this. Yeah, I am just, it, it looked like it was a lot. And I personally don't think I would trust myself to do it correctly. Like, and even though it it wasn't hard, guys, I'm not trying to like make it sound like it was difficult. I think it was easy or I should say it was simple, simple to do. Like you do this and then you mix it this much water and then you wait and you mix it and then, then you like press it down and da, da, da. Like it was straightforward, but um, it, it was like also a lot of work, special equipment was needed because it is a construction job. Um, but it was so cool. It was really cool to watch her and her family come together and do this. And like they had a couple experts helping them along the way. I think the Sirewall people were also helping her, um, you know, and just so that it is absolutely doable for someone who wants to go that direction. 
I will happily pay extra for someone to do all that for me though. That would be, that would be the direction I would go for sure. And you can, if you reach out to Sirewall, they can either get you in touch with a general contractor in your area, or if you have a general contractor, they can work with them to train them on the Sirewall practices. So that's a hundred percent an option as well. You don't have to uh, be like Ming and I and be like, I'm going to build myself a house out of clay. It's going to be awesome. Yeah. It's, it's really, it's, it's crazy how you could just use structural rammed earth stabilized by rebar and it is just naturally naturally modulates humidity um you don't have to use any wood or drywall in the building process and it's naturally hydrophobic so it repels water it's just like it is a really perfect solution for somebody who is looking to build that that kind of safe environment for themselves i think she's making it's like a 12 by 12 like it's a small studio apartment type of little building that she's creating in uh, New Mexico, I believe. So it's, uh, I mean, it'll be cool when it's done, but it was, it was really cool that she documented it so well and presented it in that way. And if you are like, absolutely not, not going to build my own house, I would like to buy one, please. The next talk is for you is by Jennifer Schrantz, who is married to Mike Schrantz, the remediator who you would have heard us talk about in previous SirsX recap episodes. But this one is called House Hunting Listers. I'm going to let Barbara take the lead on this one because I rent and I, if I have any choice in the matter, will never be a homeowner. So I think Barbara was way more invested in this conversation than I was. You know, I, I was, first of all, can we just like appreciate what a dream team the Schrances are like an IEP and a realtor? It's just too perfect for words. And they both care about SIRS and SIRS patients. So, it's like a SIRS love story. It's cute. I don't even think either of them have SIRS, do they? I haven't heard them talk about it, but... I would hope Mike doesn't at the very least. Yeah. Both, I hope both of them don't because he would bring home like Actinos and stuff after checking right. out people's home. I hope neither yeah. of them do. I hope no one has SIRS, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> yes. Yeah. No, the, I mean, the main... So she... Her presentation was fantastic, first of all. And... um. Her main point was, first of all, she lives in Tucson. So if you are in the Tucson area, you can use her. And why wouldn't you? I want to move to Tucson just so I can use her. Okay. Almost, almost. But it's still, it's Tucson. It's no offense. But uh, <laughs> I'm such an wow. asshole to places. <laughs> I literally grew up there, you guys. I think yeah. Tucson's fine. <laughs> I have nothing against Tucson. Florida uh, I mean, can burn itself with fire, but Tucson's fine. Okay. <laughs> I'll take your, you know what? I haven't actually been to Tucson. I've wow. only so I can't even talk. <laughs> I'm just not a fan of Southern Arizona. I think that's I've seen enough. We don't how, how <laughs> south have you been in Arizona? Mesa. Okay, that's okay. Pretty, I'll, I'll give it to you. Okay. Um, I mean, when you compare to like Flagstaff and Sedona. Okay, we don't need to talk about this anyway. If you're going to. St- if you're going to be in Tucson, awesome. Use her. However, she also has been collecting uh, references for other realtors all around the country so that she can recommend other realtors to SIRS patients. So, And if you have a realtor that was fantastic and understanding and patient with you and your SIRS journey and finding a house, please tell her. Tell us and we'll make sure she knows. But either way, we uh, it's good to share those kinds of resources because they're few and far between. Um, really important. 
get all of the inspections. That was a huge takeaway from this talk. Every inspection that you can. When, so when you put an offer on a house and it gets accepted, there is a period of time. It's usually about 10 days where you can get all of the tests done that you want and you can still back out of the process without losing anything uh, financially. You can request in your offer to have an, a longer period. She recommends at least 14 days rather than just 10. It's going to vary by state. So just work with your realtor on that. Um, but you want to have the time to get the sewer scoped for endotoxin po uh, potential. You want to get the roof inspected. You want to um, check all you want to have it, ideally an IEP come in and check for any water damage, any signs of mold or anything like that. Um, you also would hopefully be able to do an ERMI or hurts me test. And that would involve the Swiffer test that you do like maybe on day one and you pay extra to have the test turned around as quickly as possible so that you get those results as quickly as possible. Um, again, you're, the point in doing all of this work up front during the inspection process is so you can make an educated decision about whether or not you actually want to move forward with the, the purchase of the home. Um, so that's the main goal there. Of course, um, there are a couple other things you can do before you even put in the offer. For example, when you're looking for a home, if you have the ability and the luxury of going to this home, and this goes for renting too, if you go to the place that you want to live in, and you can live, you can be there for an hour. You can actually take the VCS test there after you've been there for an hour and use your own body's like uh, stability or or uh, issues in that in taking that test to determine if that location is safe. So that's a really good one if you have the luxury of being able to hang out in a vacant home for an hour before you make any moves. Um, but yeah, that was that was maybe. That was maybe most of what I have. Um, do you have any other? Yeah. So uh, one thing she said was, you know, when you're doing the initial home search, there are things you can do to kind of refine for the homes that might be best for you. So she said the age of the building should be like two to 10 years old. Um, look at the materials it was built with, uh, especially, you know, when you're in Tucson, you do have those stucco houses. Um, uh, but is it in a environment where there were flood zones or is it close proximity to like a sewage treatment center like those are things you can look and do when you're actually searching for the home she also said that new construction is probably okay for those without multi-chemical sensitivity um so we i think vocs are becoming a more known thing where people are being more intentional about the the toxicity or lack thereof <laughs> of the building materials and paints and stuff like that they're using um, the other thing she said that was really interesting to me is like, you're going to have to understand what your tolerance level is and then figure out what you're not going to find a perfect home necessarily, but you can find a home that you feel safe in. And that's the point is like to find a home that you feel safe in. Is it good enough that you feel good about the remediation you're going to have to do after buying it? Or is it good enough that you, you you know, is your tolerance like, I absolutely do not want to remediate, that's going to change your approach to buying the home. So I thought that was a really interesting way for her to put it. She said, we aren't looking for perfect, we are looking for peace of mind. And I think that was the thing that stuck with me the most.
Yeah, the great points. And then I just realized I had a second page of notes. So I'm going to look at <laughs> anything that that was important that I didn't say before. Um, you do want to avoid flips. So that's where someone has recently purchased a home and you can see the the sales history of a home when you're buying it. If it was purchased in a, like two or three months ago and now it's being sold again and everything looks nice and new and different, well, a coat of paint will cover many manner of sins. So you want to avoid something that looks like it was recently just kind of remodeled uh, just because you won't be able to see the evidence of the water damage or mold growth or a lot of other things that they may have hidden. Um, you do want to be aware of like weird smells or if people are using a lot of like deodorizers, like an annoying, like give you a headache amount. They're probably covering something up. I have um, experienced that myself walking into a home uh, that was for sale. The combination uh, of deodorizer and musty is oh. like the worst. It's like you're not covering up anything. You're just making the situation infinitely worse. Yeah. It's it's pretty painful and it's it's obvious when you're looking for it. So that's why I'm saying it now. You'll be hopefully aware of that possibility. Um, and some people, I mean, if you're sick and you're sensitive, you you will notice regardless. Um, the list of inspections were just a regular home inspection, termite, roof, sewer, the sewer scope, uh, an HVAC inspection, radon, microbial, which would be done by an IEP. So this is like the mold inspection. And then if it was built before 1978, you would want to look for lead and asbestos. Uh, if you let's say have a popcorn ceiling, I do not. I, I just, <laughs> when I was living in Florida, uh, we were living in a house where the ceiling started to crack because we had some flooding in the backyard. It's just like series of unfortunate events. Um, and when they looked into the ceiling, they found asbestos. So then I left that home to come to Colorado to dog sit. And then I ended up visiting my grandma in California who had just had flooding. And when they went to remediate, found that there was asbestos in the floor. It's like, oh my gosh, why was asbestos used in everything? Why? Oh, that's awful, awful, awful. Yeah, get get all of that checked. And when you make your offer, it can be contingent on inspections. So that, that can be, again, something, talk to your realtor. They should know how to do this. This should not be weird. This should be normal and easy for them. Um, generally speaking, you want to avoid swamp coolers. These are now I'm just like throwing out random facts, but um, exactly what you said uh, was, you know, you're not looking for perfect. You're looking for peace of mind. I loved that too. Um, and there are two episodes of Michael Schrantz's podcast that she cited as good uh, resources that we'll put in the show notes. Uh, one is episode 25, which is buying a home. And that's where Mike and Jennifer talk about this. And you'll hear basically a lot of what I already just said, um, but probably in more detail on that one. And then there's episode nine as well, which uh, uh, Michael has Dr. D on to talk about renting. So if that applies to you more, you can check out that episode. But I just thought, I thought her, her presentation was so wonderful. And it was, it's so rare, like a realtor who knows about this is so rare that it was such, it's such a valuable perspective to get on this whole process for people, because I know so many people are like, screw remediation. I just want to find a better place to live. And so this, this would apply to you then, if that's and the case. That was another really cool thing she said was like, if you're not in Tucson and you cannot use Jennifer Schrantz 
and you're not willing to move to Tucson so that you can work with restaurants. And if you do reach out to her and she doesn't have a recommendation for someone in your area, she said, find an experienced realtor who is compassionate, um, who can be patient with you because you can teach someone about SIRS, but you can't teach someone to have empathy for your situation. Mm -hmm. And so if you find a realtor who has that empathy, and we talked about this a little bit in the remediation episode, if you can't find a service literate remediator, find someone who's open to talking about it. And that's going to be like a really great, it's going to make your experience of remediation or house hunting that much better. Yep, exactly. I, I feel like that was a good summary of those three talks. You're welcome, everyone. (laughs) <laughs> you're welcome <laughs> i'm patting myself on uh, ourselves on the back no i was uh those are really great talks that i i mean i love i weirdly love construction like why i accidentally ended up in a real estate development job a few years back and really enjoyed learning about the process of construction and i'm so thankful i did because now i have context for all of this fun stuff um, i'm glad one of us enjoys it <laughs> <laughs> it's a little bit it's a lot. It's a, there's a lot of stuff, but it's, it's cool to know what, what's going on in, in the building process and how to, how to make it safe for you. I think knowledge is power. So it's good stuff. A million percent. If you're looking for more resources and support on your SERS journey, if you want to hear about how other people have found or created safe spaces for themselves to live, we do have a tiny house builder. He builds mold safe, tiny houses uh, he's in our group and he just shares like all these different building practices, like things he incorporates when he's building these tiny homes. And it's so fascinating to me. So we have stuff like that over in the group. If you're interested, you can join us over at the group.com. And otherwise we will see you next week for another episode. See you then. See you then.